We can't do we can't do different kind of music in church. Ah, yeah, you can too. We did it right here this morning, didn't we? Amen. Y'all are a mess. Let me just tell you, First Corinthians chapter six, and uh, I'm gonna take you all the way. You don't believe this? I'm gonna take you all the way back to the Garden of Eden this morning. You believe that? In First Corinthians chapter six, and this just kind of dawned on me uh, yesterday, going over notes and. Looking at some things, I just realized something very important. You know, there's always this battle going on about the sovereignty of God and the will of man and how those things can exist. I want to tell you something. And it dawned on me looking at these passages and looking and thinking about Adam and Eve in the garden. That's where we are this morning. Did you know that you have sovereignty in your life? And you have free will. Because God is sovereign, you have free will. But you also have sovereignty in your life and free will. And that's what we're talking about. Now, the last couple of weeks I've been talking about in 1 Corinthians 6, and we went from verse 9 through that, and uh, we, were, we were actually looking at the foundation of your purity. And in verse number 11 of chapter 6, it says that you are washed, sanctified, justified, and I preached that last week. That's the foundation of your purity. Now, Adam and Eve also likewise in the garden. Did they not have free will? They did. But what happened when they exercised their free will improperly? Well, now we're in the mess that we're in, right? But then we were redeemed and the Lord gave us our dominion back. So in other words, we have exactly again what Adam and Eve had prior to the fall. So if you ever thought to yourself, well, if I'd have been there, that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> I got news for you. You still have it. You didn't have to be there, but you're here, and you still have free will in your life. And when you improperly use your free will and your sovereignty, you see, here's the deal. Sovereignty cannot exist without free will. And free will cannot exist without sovereignty. That keeps you from being a robot. So if God was sovereign but didn't allow you to have free will, you'd just be a robot. And the Lord wants you to love him and obey him out of your free will. But we have a problem with our free will. We get into trouble. Now, this in context was exactly where Paul the Apostle was with the Corinthians. Now, you remember, they lived in a pagan society, just like we do today. It's no different in Corinth as it is today. When someone gets saved, they come in. And they realized that God had sovereign rule in their life, and they received Jesus by their free will. And then we have to teach them something. We have to teach them how to use their free will. If we don't, they're never going to grow as a Christian. And that's where we are in this text. So in Paul's day, there were two things. There was asceticism, which was a denial and a mutilation of the flesh. You know, there's people out there today that think that they can deny their flesh and beat themselves with a stick or whip themselves. Or one man I knew was rolling himself across Africa. He was literally rolling on the concrete, glass, rocks, whatever on the roads. And he was going to punish himself and mutilate his flesh so that he could control the flesh. And while he was doing that, he was still not controlling the flesh. Amen? You can't do that. So there's this group in Corinth, same thing. Uh, Martin Luther almost killed himself trying to mutilate the flesh. He starved himself. He would lie out in the snow naked. 
uh, all of these things to try to please God. And then finally one day translating the, the book of Galatians and Romans into uh, the German language. He read that passage in Romans, the just shall live by faith. And, he, and, he, and it hit him. He understood what was going on. So then there was another group that said extreme license. This is lasciviousness. And guess what? We are there right now today. There's another group that's out there today that says, well, since the body is going to die, then you can just do whatever you want to in the body and it doesn't count. So when you die, whatever you've done in the flesh doesn't matter because the flesh goes away. But we're going to learn in this passage that Jesus redeemed your body for a purpose. And your body is very important to God. So what we do in the body. Now, both of these thoughts are wrong. So what we're going to learn today is balance is the key to your Christian life. Now, last week, uh, and I, I don't like this when I have to preach partial things, but I can't preach the whole book of Corinthians in one day. So last couple of weeks, I preached some things, and people, probably, some folks probably went out of here, even though I said it, some folks went out of here thinking, well, we can do whatever we want to. Brother Jerry gave us permission to do anything. Well, you judged me on one message. Now we're going to get to the other side of the coin. And there's always balance. And so here's the other part of the balance. And so if you're on one side, if you'll view your Christian life as a train track, and on one side of the train track, over here is you can go ahead and be ascetic, and you can be legalistic. You can say, well, I'm not going to drink coffee, and I'm not going to drink tea, and I've got to do all these things in order to be holy. You're going to get legalistic. And then on this side, you can say, just like the Corinthians, well, my body doesn't really matter. Whatever I do in the body is okay. I'm going on that side. Then you're going to get into lasciviousness. But if you'll just get on the train track... And you let your sovereignty and your free will work together, you'll get a long way down the road. And that's what this passage is about. Let's read our text. And, and verse number 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is helpful. And while I'm right here, let me just say this before I forget. That was a saying of the Corinthians, and Paul pulls that into the Scripture. And so that is a word of sarcasm right there. And some people take it for a face value and say, see, Paul says I can do whatever I want to. That's not what this text is saying. Everything is permissible for me or lawful, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is brought. But I will not be brought under the power of anything. And then Paul takes another one of the Corinthian sayings, pulls it into the Scripture. Food for the stomach and stomach for food. But God will do away with both of them. So you see, the Corinthians were saying, well, see, God made the, the body to desire food so I can eat whatever I want to. Well, guess what? You do have a right to do that. But it's not, permit, it, but it's not edifying. You do that, you're going to look like me. You all right? So... Uh, here we go. So the body is not for sexual immorality, but it's for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord Jesus. He will also raise up you by his power. See, your body's important to the Lord. He's going to raise you up. Don't you know this? That your bodies are a part of Christ's body. So you can't sin without affecting everybody else here. See, you're a part of the body. And then he says, so you should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute. Also, you're a part of the Lord's body himself. You were baptized and identified with him. You, you just got through singing. See, you maybe not were thinking about that, but you said, lead me to the cross. Well, why would you go to the cross? So you can crucify your flesh. Amen. Did you know what you were singing? How about that? So uh, Paul says, don't do that. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is joined with her in one in her body? Scripture says the two will become one flesh. But 
anyone joined to the Lord is one with spirit in him, with him. Run from sexual immorality. Every sin a person commits is outside the body. On the contrary, the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. How about that? That's pretty bad, isn't it? Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And here is literally everything for us in this. This wraps it all up. He says, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And that's what this little, little mini-series within the book is going to be about, honoring God with our bodies. Now, if you look at chapter 7, he's going to say, let's honor God in our marriage. And then he's going to say, I'm going to give you all these rules about marriage. And then he's going to say, as virgins, as young men, Paul's going to say, honor God with your body as you go through all of those things. So today, the title of the message really is point number two, uh, the failure of our freedom. And there is a spiritual freedom which comes with maturity. It also is the same freedom that will cause you to fail like Adam and Eve did. And we don't want to do that. And so we're going to, we're going to learn some, some things today uh, about the double-edged sword. And this really is a double-edged sword. You can choose to allow things in your life uh, when you're by yourself or with others of the of same like, but as long as it doesn't, uh, is not a direct command. So let me say this. Verse number 12 is not a command that you can do anything that you want. And so everything is permissible for me. Is murder permissible? Is adultery permissible? Is lust permissible? Is stealing permissible? No. So you can't take that verse. You have to use some discernment with it. And so uh, this is one of the verses that in seminary when I was around all the spiritual people, at lunch, I would go and misquote that passage on purpose, take it out of context, and then get up and leave and watch them all argue over it. I did things like that. I've grown out of that now, but I love to sit back and watch them all pontificate and be real spiritual. And so Romans 14.22 says, Blessed is a man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. So here what you have is the Lord that says you got something in your life you enjoy, you know, and if you're not hurting anyone else, you have freedom to do that. But if it becomes a controlling mechanism in your life, if it takes power away from you and controls you, then that's sin in your life. So it's, it's just real easy. Paul is talking about the balance that comes with this. Uh, the King James puts it this way. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that which he alloweth. So if you want to take a dip, that's your business, you go right ahead. But if it begins to be something that controls you, the Lord says, hey, get control of that. Don't let that take control of your life. If any man thinks he stands, take heed lest he falls. See, the modern New Testament Christian likes to get as close to trouble as he can. And really what we should be doing is getting as far away from trouble as we can. You have freedom in your life, just like Adam and Eve, just like the new Christian in the, in the, in the the feeling of the law of the Spirit, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. And so Paul says, anything that is called sin does not apply to verse 12. If the Bible point blank tells us, uh, in the, you know, you say, well, the Ten Commandments, that's Old Testament. Sorry, every commandment that's a, one of the Ten Commandments is also validated in the New Testament. Right? So some people say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, I can find you a New Testament passage if you want that says, you, you can't covet, okay? So there, there we have it. So uh, a healthy spiritual life is a balanced life. Now, uh, 
And I was talking to somebody this week. I said, what's true in the natural is true in the spiritual. Did you know that? And what's true in the spiritual is true in the natural. Let me give you a good example of that. How many of you have had a saltwater tank? Fish. Nobody in here has had saltwater fish? Raise your hand if you had a saltwater fish. Okay. How hard is it to take 10 gallons of saltwater for saltwater fish and keep it balanced? It's impossible. But in order for those fish to live, it has to be balanced. The pH has to be right. The salt content has to be right. And as of that time, you got to keep it up. God does that in the entire ocean every day. Trillions of gallons of salt water, and he never gets it out of balance. Y'all all right? How about that? So you see, we learn in the natural of our lives, if we keep it balanced, we will also please God spiritually. So yes, I want to eat, and you can have some cake. The Lord has given you freedom. Thank God for a little bit of freedom. You can have some fried chicken. You can have fried chicken once in a while. You can have some cake. You can have some things. But if that's all you eat is fried chicken and cake, you're going to be in the ER getting some stents in. Y'all all right? So you see, your freedom comes into play in your walk with Jesus. And Paul says all of these things, the, the little Greek word means lawful. It's lawful to you. It's allowable to you. But Paul says uh, don't be brought under the power of any. And so if I eat fried fish every day, so uh, there's a little restaurant in Lincolnton I like to eat at when my brother, and we go there for breakfast when I see my brother, and it's the Hometown Cafe. Good night. That is the best breakfast you will ever have in your life. Now, if I lived in Lincolnton, guess where I'd be every morning? See, I'd be over there every morning, so I'm just going to stay put where I'm at and leave my freedom right here. Y'all all right? That's a good place. And so Paul says, but it's not sum pharaoh. It's not, it's not to my advantage. Now listen to Galatians 5.1. Listen how, how cool this is. These two passages I'm going to read you are verse number 12 wrapped up. The entire sermon is wrapped up right here. You, my brothers, were caught. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set me free. God set you free from the law in order for you to be free. Your freedom's okay. But he says, stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So you see, this is good. I love my freedom. Anybody got a goat they brought for sacrifice this morning? Anybody got a wave offering? Anybody got a ceremonial law that we didn't go through that you feel guilty about? See, you don't have all the ceremonial and civil and religious laws from the Old Testament. We didn't bring that in here this morning. Why? Because we worship by a new law today. God in Christ has given you freedom. And man, I'm telling you, you ought to be thankful for that. Can you imagine dragging goats around to go to the temple? I mean, you can't even get your kids here. Think if you had goats with them. And you know, some of y'all are thinking that the kids are the goats. They're not. And so the Lord now, but listen, Galatians 5, as God looked, Paul goes a little further, and he says, but you, brothers, you were called to be free, but do not let your freedom give you allow you to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another out of love. Isn't that cool? Have you not found how awesome it is that the, that the writers of the Scripture never contradict themselves from one passage to the next? Paul is here talking to the Corinthians, tells the guys in Galatians, same thing. Paul says, listen, you have freedom in Christ, but absolutely, positively, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Well, I can do whatever I want. I'm free in Christ. No, Paul says, love trumps your freedom. That way, if I'm off with Brother Jeremy, 
and uh, he has a problem, and i got something I can do. I don't have a problem. I'm not going to do that so I can love my brother. Are you with me? And so now listen, I want you to go to Romans chapter 8, and we're going we're gonna to buzz through this very quickly, but you've got to see this because you're going to see this in another light. You have something else working in you uh, that the Old Testament is, is changed. This is what we call progressive revelation. Now, the truth of the gospel or anything else has not changed, but this is progressive revelation. And I want you to see that. This is here. Now, I've got to go through this quickly. We're not going to get finished. But, you know, this is so important if we do two verses a week. I'm okay, but I'd rather move a little faster. But it's so important that you have to see it. Romans 8, chapter 1. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're justified, past, present, and future. Because through Christ Jesus, watch, the law of the what? The law of the Spirit has set me free from the law of sin and death. What is the law of sin and death? Paul talks about the Old Testament law as being literally a schoolmaster to point you to Christ. Why? Because you couldn't keep the law. So see, the Jews from the Old Testament will say, oh, we have the law, we have to keep the law in order to be saved. And the New Testament says, no, you were given the law to prove to you that you couldn't keep the, New Test- the, the law. You couldn't keep it. You have no chance. It's a law of sin and death. But today, there's a different law. It's called the law of the Spirit. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. Nothing wrong Nothing wrong with the law. The law is holy, it's pure, and it's perfect. Amen? And I like the way J. Vernon McGee describes this. He says, you have a spatula at home, and it's good for picking up something that that weighs one pound. Nothing wrong with it, good spatula. But you stick it in the pan and try to pull out a five-pound ham, it can't do it. It just can't do it. Why? Because the ham is the problem. The ham is too heavy. And the law, nothing wrong with the law. It did exactly what it was supposed to do. It was to point you to the New Testament. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews says, the blood of bulls and goats could never do away with sin, never do away with iniquity. But God sent his son. Let's keep reading. He says, for what the law was powerless to do, and it was weak through the sinful nature, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. You see, you've been free, and the reason that you have freedom in Christ is because Jesus kept all of those laws. And now, we'll see, well, what do I do when I, when I come to something? I don't know what to do. And there's no law specifically stated in the Scripture that tells me what to do. You have the lawgiver living in you to tell you what to do. Now, that's a good idea, wasn't it? Who else would have done that? Jesus. This is the manifold wisdom of God. In Ephesians 3.10, when I tell you, it says the church, the intent of God through the church was to display the manifold wisdom of God. And what is the manifold wisdom of God? It is the plan of salvation. It is this, what I'm telling you. Who would have been this brilliant to literally take the law and put it in your heart through the Spirit of God. I promise you and I guarantee if you're born again in this room right now, you would tell me, I can never sin without the Holy Spirit saying, don't do that. Who's, did I just tell the truth? 
Christians, somebody ought to say amen. Look at verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. You see, the, the mature believer, Paul says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is profitable for me. But I have the Holy Spirit of God living in me from birth, from new birth, from the new birth to guide me and to keep my mind focused on what is pure and what is holy. Here, this is the point. This is the application. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. That's what God wants us to know. The law of the Spirit, what a great idea. What a great spiritual advantage for us. You don't have to memorize thousands of laws. You have the lawgiver within you. You come to a point, I've counseled with people, I didn't know the Scripture. I said, man, I can't even find a Scripture to put on this. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. What? Yes, the Holy Spirit will guide you. Romans chapter 8, look in verse number 26. You don't believe me? Watch this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Do you not know that we ought to pray for the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans and words that cannot be expressed? And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance to the will of God. The Holy Spirit uh, intercedes for you even when you don't know what to say or what to do. Now, somebody ought to say, I got a great God. I have a God who loves me so much that when I don't know what's right to do, the Holy Spirit has already interceded for me and the Holy Spirit, if he interceded and said, Hey, Lord, Ryan's confused. He needs to know what to do about this. Don't you think if he told the Lord that, he's already told Ryan what to do? Yeah? Man, I'm just... Mm. Notice this, the little, uh, little, little uh, permissive passive right here. It means to bring under the power. Lord, he says, I will not be brought under the power of any. That's a permissive passive. And listen to me, here's what that means. It means that anything you allow in your life to control you, you let it do it. Because you have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, and you say, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not doing that. I get away from it. And you allowed it. It's a permissive passive in the original language, literally. A permissive passive. It means passive. I let it happen to me, and I'm approving of that. You know, you said I had my brother-in-law one time. He was like under the hood, and he was working with the distributor, and points and plugs. Y'all don't remember that, do you? But every time he'd touch it, it would shock him. And he'd jump up and he'd hit his head on the roof. And he'd go back in there and do it. And oh, boom. And then I said, boy, you either learn or you learn to like it. <laughs> don't touch that no more. Cut the car off and then take it off. Y'all all right? If you, keep, <laughs> if you keep getting shocked, don't touch it. The key to practical holiness is not being brought under the power of, he, of anything. And here's where we fail. We fail in our freedom so that we don't, be, we don't become a, so attached to something that it causes us problems. And it can be anything. The great preacher Jonathan Edwards used to have tea at 3 o'clock every afternoon. And when I was in seminary, I just laughed at that. I thought, that silly old man. And the older I've grown, every day 3 o'clock he had tea. He got convicted and he said, this tea has become so important at 3 o'clock that I can't do my work for the Lord. I'm thinking about tea. 
And he says, if that's the case, I'll never drink tea again. Tea. You say, that is silly, Brother Jerry. How many Cokes you drink this week? You know what's in that stuff? It's terrible. And I've cut back from 20 to 10 a day. I'm, no, I very seldom drink them, but I do drink them. But I, I, you, listen, Paul corrects this thought in verse number 13. He says, food for the stomach, stomach for the food. But God will do away with them both. Well, the, the Corinthians would say, well, the body needs relationship, sexual relationship. So whatever we do is okay. God's created the body for food, so whatever I eat is okay. Paul says, I got news for you. This food for the stomach, food and the stomach's going away in the next life. What we're going to eat, Brother Jerry? I don't know. Well, I can't, I, Brother Jerry, I just can't live. I just think about not having relations with my wife. I just don't know what I do. Somebody asked A.W. Tozer this, and Tozer said, hey, let me ask you a question. Why are you having relations with your life? He said, let me ask you a question. What is your favorite sweet? What's your favorite dessert? The guy said, man, I love chocolate drops. He said, well, when you're experiencing relations with your wife, do you ever think about chocolate drops? He said, no. He said, when you get to heaven, this foolishness is down here, you will never think about it again. You see, we just think, we just think, we think that the flesh has to be satisfied. We have to have what we want right here or it just ain't heaven. I had a guy tell me one day, well, I tell him, talking to him about heaven. I says, well, you know, there, there's going to be no seed. The Bible says no seed, no sun, no sun in heaven. Did you know that? He said, well, if there ain't no sun, I love to go and lay out in the sun and feel the sun on my skin. If there ain't no sun there, I don't want to go. I said, well, you keep talking like that. You're not going anyway. You know what the Bible says? That heaven will be filled with the Shekinah glory of God. There's nobody in this room that's ever felt the Shekinah glory of God on their skin. Nobody's felt that. As a matter of fact, it says in heaven there will be no shadows there. No shadow of turning. There won't be shadows. Every square inch of the place will be filled with the glory of God. You still want the sun? No, I don't need the sun. What does Paul say? But the body was made for the Lord. The body is not made for sexual immorality. Notice it didn't say the body was not allowed to have sex. It does. It's okay. Especially and made for the marriage union. It's a great, awesome, beautiful, wonderful thing. It, it, the Lord gave us all these wonderful things, just like food. I'm telling you, there's, there's some things we just sit down and eat. And man, at homecoming, did y'all see the desserts in there? You know, and I was like, all things are permissible. Today's the day, baby. Take some extra insulin. We about to get it on. Y'all did a good job. But I can't go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday doing that. But God has given us so many wonderful things to enjoy and have a part of our lives. Our bodies, however, were made for the Lord. And anything that I do to my body on a continual basis that keeps me from giving Him my best on Sunday morning, I have to remove from my life. Some of us stayed up late last night doing some things you probably shouldn't have been doing. It may have been okay, wholesome-wise. It may not even have been sin. But if you're staying up every Saturday night at 2 o'clock in the morning fooling around watching silly stuff on your phone, you're not ready to worship on Sunday morning. Some of you worked way too long this week. 
You see, we're concentrating on alcohol and tobacco and lust and those things, and there's so much more in your life that you're sinning because you're not giving God your best in ministry because you're killing your body. Is being a workaholic sinful? Come on, y'all. Some of y'all ain't saying nothing. Is work wrong? No. That's how you make your living. But if you kill yourself in the process, your kids won't have a mom and daddy. How many people do you know have sacrificed their children when, they're, when, when they needed their daddy the most and daddy keeps going off working right when they needed him for a little bit of extra money? Come on. Pastor doesn't go on to preaching. Verse 14, our bodies are important to God. He says that Jesus' body was raised, and our bodies will be raised. You see, your body is raised. I gave you a little tidbit last week about lust, and here's why lust is so bad. Here's another tidbit, one-liners for you. Lust lowers the value for which a body was created. See, the body, what did Paul say? The body was made for the Lord. And so when I lust after someone, I'm using their body for a purpose that God did not intend it to be. Now, let me tell you something. If you're married, you better lust after your wife. Let me tell you, well, Brother Jerry, you don't know. She done picked up a few pounds, and you know, we all say, have you looked at yourself? Come on, man. Can I tell you this? Do you know that you can make your wife beautiful by the way you talk to her, the way you treat her? And you know what? You see, we're so selfish. We think we've got to have somebody look like they came out of a magazine. I can't believe the day I found out they, they... Spray those magazine covers and stuff. They fix them. And I say, last time I saw that actress, she was fat. What happened? They fixed it when they put it on the cover so they can make you feel bad. So you'll buy this product, so you'll do that. You know what? There's not that many people in the world that just look like that. And you can look like that and still have a wicked heart. Proverbs 31 tells us beauty is vain. You ever heard somebody say, what does he see in her? What does she see in him? If they're in love and happy, what's that to you? You may have a 10 for a wife and you're unhappy at home. Get over yourself. Y'all all all right? I can't read all of this, but I want to mention Romans chapter 6 to you. Because Romans chapter 6 talks about being identified in Christ. And it talks about when you're identified with Christ, here's what we're saying, because I'm going somewhere. Look, so in verse number 14, he he goes further and he says, um, the body's not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. You see, your body's important to the Lord. And Romans chapter 6 talks about identifying with Christ and being submissive to the Lord. Now listen carefully. When you were baptized... I said, if I baptize you, I said, buried with Christ in baptism, you're identified with Christ. And that's why we do immersion. And people will falsely tell you, oh, well, you can be sprinkled, you know, getting baptized, it doesn't really matter, it doesn't save you. No, it doesn't save you, but it tells what you believe. And when you're baptized, literally what you're saying is, I'm dead. And I'm a, lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Rid me of myself. You see, we just sang it, but we don't pay attention to it. What you're saying is identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and I'm not my own anymore. And so this, my body, my choice, baloney. 
And if you're a believer and you say that, you're not a believer. When you were baptized, you identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Romans 6, he's talking about baptism. But when I baptize you around here, I'm dunking you. Because what we're saying is, Lord, everything I own, everything I was, and everything I want to be is tied up and identified in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Y'all all right? And I'm saying Jerry Gray was dead. And the Lord raised me to walk in newness of life. I'm walking in newness of life, which means that anything that holds me back has to go. In the same way, listen, 6.12, Romans. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but also alive to Christ. Therefore, (coughs) do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Offer the parts. Godly, this is so good. Offer the parts of your body. You used to do that to sin. You offered the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather, divine conjunction, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master. I just know, Lord, I don't want to do that. You don't own yourself, pal. I own you. Jerry Gray, do what I told you to do. What then shall we? Shall we sin because we're not under the law? Oh, no. He says, <laughs> for you yourselves to someone, obey him as slaves. You are slaves to the one you obey. You see what Paul's saying? You have freedom, but you don't want to be a slave again. You used to be slave to iniquity and sin, and God raised you up. He made you born again so that you could serve him with the members of your body. Paul says, you've been set free from sin, and you've become slaves to righteousness. We got some Baptists that forgot about that. I put this in human terms, Paul says, because you're weak in your natural selves. I was delivered not for moderation. I was delivered for righteousness. You still have freedom. Listen to this, the last thing. The benefit you reap leads to holiness And the result of is eternal life. Now listen, the passage we all know and was quoted, and I do this, I'm doing this on purpose because I want you to know this verse in context because it's quoted out of context all the time. And it is about salvation, but it's not only about salvation, it's about growing maturity in Christ. Listen, verse 23, you know this, but now that you have been set free from sin, you've become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness And the result is eternal life for the wages. But the gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You you see, Paul right there in verse 23 is just simply contrasting what you used to be and what you should be. That's what he's doing, verse number 15. So we immerse around here in verse number 15, and we'll keep doing that. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ? And, And he says, so... I take a part of Christ's body and I make it a part of a prostitute. Absolutely not. So would you join yourself to a prostitute? Paul says, no, you're a part of the body of Christ around here. That's where you are. So he says, don't don't do those things. You're a a member of the body of Christ. So number one, the reason you don't want to sin, the reason you don't want to fail in your freedom is because I'm connected to you. So what I do hurts you. You say, "I, I, I don't have anything to do with these people. 
Yeah, I'm, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, but we're not connected. Oh, no, that's not what the, the Scripture says. The Greek word is melee. It literally means affinity. It means arm or a leg. Now, some of y'all bite your finger this morning. See if it don't tell your brain that that's a part of your brain. If you stomp your left foot, I promise you, your right foot will know about it. And, and we're connected. So I'm a hand or a mouth. I'm being the mouth this morning. Uh, we had some folks over here a while ago that were the feet and the hands. We've had people teach Sunday school this morning. They may have been part of the brain. And Paul literally says, the people of the body. See, y'all got some body parts we don't all want to see. But they're very important. Paul says, as a matter of fact, the parts of the body that aren't visible are the most important. People always come and say, boy, Brother Jerry preached a message this morning. I'll tell you what, somebody who was in the closet praying was more important than I was. You understand? Paul says, we're all a part of the body. And then he says, you're part of Christ's body. See, didn't I tell you, you baptized, you identified, you're identified with Christ. There's no magic in the water. True, it doesn't save you. But don't tell me that baptism is not important. How in the world can sprinkling or explosion, pouring water, how in the world could a child who's being baptized understand all of what I just told you? They can't. But later on, we have to teach them, you were buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in this new life. Look in verse number 16. It speaks of the sacredness of the sexual union. You cannot, he says, you leave your father and mother and you cleave to your wife. Do you not know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one with her in body? For the scripture says the two will become one flesh. When you Listen, you don't believe this, but I'm telling you the word of God says this right there. If you go off and you sleep with someone, you, you have, it's not your spouse. You have joined with them in flesh. He says literally, you go sleep with a prostitute, you've joined the Lord Jesus with the prostitute as a believer. You hear me? That's, that's strong. And guess what else I did? If your pastor went off, I went off on a long weekend. I went to Las Vegas. Nobody knows me out there. And I went down on the strip and I fell morally. I brought every one of you with me. See, if the preachers would teach this, it would keep us in line. We would realize the severity of the iniquity that we participate in. Y'all all right? And so it says, listen, this is the preciousness of the sacred union in Jesus Christ. When someone gets married, they leave their father and mother, and the word for cleave is the exact word we're talking about right here. They join with their spouse. They create a new family. Now they become Literally, the Scripture says, they become one flesh. I don't know anybody who's ever been divorced that will not tell you it hurt, no matter what the situation was. You know why? Because it tears the flesh apart when you separate from that person. And sometimes it's needful, sometimes it's something that has to be done, but the pain is just there. It happens. You understand? It's the truth of the Scripture. Why? Because this is mysterious. You can't figure this out. But there's two people, when they become husband and wife, they're just, it's just something mysterious and spiritual happens. They become one flesh. It's awesome. And then verse 17, look at, look at verse 17. He says, but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Listen to these verses real quickly. If you, do, if you doubt this, listen to me. Uh, because Jesus tried to explain this to, to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, the greatest privilege you have is being one with God. 
I mean, he said, you're, you're the teacher in Israel. You don't get this. He said, you got to be born again, Hoss. you got to get in the family with Jesus. How can I join? See, he went straight to the earthly. How can I go again in my mother's womb? How can I be born again? Now, I, the wind comes. You don't know where it came from. You don't know even where it's going. You can't even understand earthly stuff. How are you going to understand heavenly things? And here's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Until you're born again, you won't understand it. That's the faith that's involved. You don't understand all the spiritual things and think, yep, I like that, I'm going to accept Jesus. No, you receive Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit, and he starts explaining the truth to you. He says, Nicodemus, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. The word for see there is the word for perceive. You'll never perceive the kingdom of heaven until you're born again. You don't perceive the kingdom of heaven and then get born again. You get born again and then you get some revelation. Listen to these passages if you talk about being in Christ. And see, when you're separated from Christ, everything goes wrong. When we're disconnected from Him, everything goes wrong. Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in, in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Y'all all right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, we've preached this already. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Note that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus, Galatians 2, 16. It'd be justified by faith in Christ Jesus and not by observing the law, Ephesians 1, 13. And you were included in Christ Jesus when you heard, I've got 10 more passages, but I'm going, to, I'm going to skip them. You can get the notes. You can read them. The point is that I'm trying to make is that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're in Christ Jesus. You're in him. I had a friend in seminary who was doing doctoral, doctoral, doctoral work, and he did his entire dissertation on that preposition, E-N, I-N in English, in Christ. An entire dissertation on being in Christ. Lead me to the cross where your love was poured out. I want to identify with Jesus Christ. So your freedom is your freedom's cool. All things are permissible to you. But everything is not beneficial. Let me mention some things that aren't beneficial. The big topic today is I can have an abortion because I own my body. It's my body. If you have intercourse and you become pregnant, you lost your rights. You should have thought about your rights before you had intercourse. Would these behaviors glorify God? Does abortion glorify God? Does adultery, drunkenness, smoking drugs, stealing, lying, gossiping, coarse language, foolish joking, unforgiveness, jealousy, hatred, murder, lust, greed, anger, rage, does any of that glorify God? No. I'm glad I never did any of those things. That's what folks are thinking right now. There are folks watching by way of the internet right now thinking, well, I'm glad I'm good. <laughs> no, you're not. You just lied. Uh, how about witnessing? Is that okay? Yep. How about giving? How about serving? How about praying? How about self-control? Forgiveness? Selflessness? Mercy? Grace, love, faith, hope, comforting a friend, discipline, worship, holiness, teaching the scripture, tending the flock, shepherding the people, 
preaching, using our spiritual gifts, patience, and putting others first. Do those glorify God? See, all things are lawful to me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. What, what I really want to do, look, what I really want to do is verse 20. Paul says, verse 18, run from sexual immorality. Run from it. Every sin a person can commit is outside of the body, but sexual sin, and it's done with it. You sin against yourself. Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit that lives in you? You are not your own. I had a Christian woman. The reason I'm doing this is because I'm hoping she's watching. I had a Christian woman tell me, my body, my choice. I said, you're lying. You were bought with a price. And the admonition is glorify God in your body. So my freedom should never lead me to a place where I do not glorify God in my body. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, it's been a passionate message this morning. But I want to tell you something. You, you don't understand the freedom of the Christian. You're thinking, oh, man, what a boring life. Nope, you missed it. You missed the whole thing. I have freedom. I have joy in the Holy Spirit. And I promise you that, listen, when you have freedom and, and something becomes your slave in your freedom, you're a slave to it. But when I give something up and I become a slave of Jesus Christ, I get freedom. It's, it's the opposite. Your freedom will put you in bondage, but bondage to Jesus will give you freedom. If you're saved and you're happy about it, would you say amen? amen. I'm telling you, there's a group of people here this morning. you watching by way of Internet. You may not understand us, but I want to tell you something. Jesus is all and everything to me, and there is nothing on this earth that I want to keep that would keep me away from him. I'm, I feel good in my freedom, and I'm comfortable in my skin. I'm glad of who I am. And I can promise you there is nothing that I've ever given up for the cause of Christ. It's held me back. It's propelled me forward. And I have freedom. I enjoy a lot of things in life, you see. But if it becomes your master, mm, you, you, you have to be careful. But he wants to be your master. And everything I hang on to by pride, it ends up hurting me. It, it hurts me. You know what kills me? You, you know what pastor to let you in on something? You know what kills me? My temper gets me. I do some really dumb stuff. You know, the garage door won't go up, and you sling it up like that. And it hits and bounces back and hits you in the head. And you just think. And then you can just kind of hear God, boy, <laughs> do that again. You know, that kind of stuff. And I said, boy, if I was just in control of my anger, I wouldn't have that problem. Or, you know. Or you get mad and throw your tools down, it hits something, bounces back, and hits you in the leg. You know, and you're like, that was good. That was good. Y'all all right? We all in the same house, aren't we? Amen. Just give Jesus your heart. Surrender is a beautiful thing. Father.